0: Back to holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is your host, Brett Hawes. Um, great to have you here again. And you'll notice that the schedule has been a little bit off. Um, I'm trying to get podcasts out once a week, but it's proving to be a little bit challenging with everyone working from home, uh, children at home and so on. Uh, so thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. So, I'm very excited. Uh, Today's the day that I am officially launching the community care program. So, if you've been following me for a while, you would have heard me talk about this program. And I just want to take a couple of minutes to explain what it is. And then you can click the link below in the show notes or visit holistichealthlive.com and you can check out all of the detailed information. You know, as we get further into this pandemic and further into the lockdown, um, there's a few things that are becoming quite apparent. Uh, the first is reduced access to health care. Okay. So particularly alternative healthcare, Um, you know, you right now cannot, um, most likely cannot go and book an appointment with your naturopath, your functional medicine practitioner, your nutritionist, your chiropractor, and so forth. Now, in addition to that, there's also the other issue of affordability. And I can tell you as someone on the inside, and I've spoken to a lot of my colleagues, uh, we're starting to see that people are cutting back on healthcare. Okay, they're cutting back on nutrition appointments um, and alternative medicine. So really what I'm saying is it's a combination of access to alternative medicine and healthcare and affordability. Okay, and I think what we're going to see moving forward is that group care is going to become a lot more commonplace, and that is what this program is. So I feel that the community care program breaks down a number of barriers. First of all, this is a program that I was going to uh, do in my town, so uh, this town and a couple couple towns over as well. Uh, I was actually going to roll this out as an in-person program and of course um, at that time everything happened and everything shut down. So um, serendipitously I was sort of forced to move this online. This program is a shared cost group program that is targeted towards high-risk individuals for coronavirus complications. So um, again, you can read more info on the registration page, but simply put, we know overwhelmingly that the majority of people who are having very severe reactions and who are dying from coronavirus are those who have pre-existing health conditions. These include high blood pressure, heart disease, Diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And that is exactly who the community care program is for. All right. So the idea is that we uh, all get together in a group. I can help you just like I would normally in a one on one sitting with people in my clinic. I can help you in a group, but the shared cost means that you can now afford to um, actually access functional medicine and clinical nutrition. So it's a very straightforward program. Um, It's $99 a month. You can uh, sign up uh, right away. You can also leave whenever you want so there's no contracts there's nothing binding you and uh, I'm only taking on 50 people right now okay 50 people is the cutoff uh, because I am really pioneering a model that has not been done anywhere else in an online setting okay so the Cleveland Clinic and um, the NHS in the UK they are doing these types of programs in person with multiple doctors uh, no one as far as I know is doing this online so I only want 50 people so if you have heart disease diabetes high blood pressure Um, all of the above, or metabolic syndrome, or you know someone that has those, uh, you definitely want to share what I'm up to here, because I feel that this is um, not only timely, not only a great of great service and value. I also feel that this is, you're going to start seeing these types of programs more and more, especially if we consider that this pandemic and lockdown might actually drag on for many more months, uh, which means that people themselves are also going to have a lot more financial hardships, right? So I want you to focus on your health. I want you to improve your heart health, your blood sugar, lower your blood pressure, lower your inflammation, get your insulin resistance under control. I want all of those things for you, not only for... Um, not only to avoid coronavirus complications, just so that you can actually achieve a better level level of health without paying thousands and thousands of dollars in uh, consulting fees and doctor's visits. Okay, so check out uh, holistichealthlive.com, or you can just scroll down in the show notes and click the link. Um, if you see a login there, it means that we have tapped out at our fifty. Um, people okay so if you have any questions or you want to get on the group and you don't see that page please email me at support at holistichealthmasterclass.com okay so uh, today's topic sugar addiction actually very heavily ties in with what i was just talking about in the community care program Uh, my guest today is michael collins Um, he is the author of the best-selling book the last resort sugar detox guide Uh, He runs the website sugaraddiction.com and uh, he also is uh, the host of the Quit Sugar Summit which is coming up on April 27th. Um, We get into a number of very interesting uh, discussions around sugar addiction and you know if you are a long-time listener or you've been in the health and wellness field for a while you might be going well sugar addiction we've kind of heard it before. Um, I would encourage you to give today's episode a listen because we get into some things that you probably have not thought of before Uh, things like, you know, is sugar the gateway drug, quote-unquote, that leads to other addictions? We talk about things like mapping neural pathways and what that means in the long run. We also talk about uh, keto flu, right, which is interesting in light of sugar addiction. Uh, We look at, we talk fairly extensively actually about children and we offer some uh, real world solutions uh, in terms of how to manage sugar addiction, how to break through it, and of course, uh, Michael has graciously offered um, you know a lot of free resources on his website, his book is free on Amazon, uh, so I think that after listening to this, um, you, you know you 're not going to be left hanging like you 're actually going to have some good tools to walk away with. Um, I would encourage you you know, especially with everything that 's going on right now. Um, You know, a lot of people are turning to sugar, to carbohydrates um, as a sort of crutch, a bit of an emotional support uh, in terms of food. And, you know, um, as you heard me say uh, previously, this is really bad in terms of Uh, coronavirus and what we're dealing with right now so um, if there's one thing you can do to really support your health right now and um, improve your immune system improve your metabolism improve uh, a lot of other things your gut microbiome um, quitting sugar or at least really really cutting it back and focusing on natural sugars um, you know maple syrup honey uh, maybe stevia um, and so on Uh, just focusing on natural sugars and fruits uh, instead of going for the real refined sugars, the baked goods, the muffins, the cookies, and so on. Okay, so that's it from my side. Um, As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider uh, sharing this with your friends, your family, your community, um, leaving us a review, subscribing to the show, uh, whatever you can do to um, keep the show going. And uh, yeah, please welcome to the show Michael Collins. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so, you know, I think our topic that we're going to talk about today is uh, not unfamiliar to many, many people. But um, you are the founder of sugaraddiction.com, the Quit Sugar Summit, and also a board chairman of the Food Addiction Institute. Um, You have quite an interesting story, so I think that it would be uh, a I would like to just hear your story and how you came to do what you do.
1: Sure, I've got the what, what I call the podcast version, which <laughs> is a, a shortened version. It usually, brings up more questions than it answers. But uh, the short version really is: I was, you know, grew up a regular kid. Uh, what I thought and uh, you know, sugar everywhere. My mother was a sugar junkie. My favorite sugar junkie. And she really thought sugar was love for everyone. And so we had it all over the house. She had a stash. We knew where it was. Um, you know, we, we had unfettered access threat to the, sh- to the uh, sugar bowl. In other words, we could put as much sugar with not even – they didn't even, like, question it, really, or chastise us in any way. So if we didn't have a quarter or half inch of sugar to scrape up out of the milk, after the cereal, we didn't put enough sugar on it. And uh, – you Know Kool Aid with three times the sugar and uh, the recipe. And we had, uh, we used to eat bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. It was amazing, really. Wow. (laughs)
0: There's
1: there's actually a great YouTube video which kind of parallels my story in a lot of ways by Eric Clapton talking about bread and butter and sugar sandwiches. Ed Bradley from 60 Minutes, the news magazine. Says to him. So this, uh, they're sitting in his seven million dollar Antigua treatment center, right? And he says to him, "So this uh, addiction thing, Eric, all started with heroin." He says, "No, Ed, it started with sugar." And it really, he said, I, "I would do anything to change my state. I was eating bread and butter and sugar sandwiches at five years old, six years old to change my state." And I didn't know as a kid. I don't think anyone knows. This is one of my main messages. So uh i was changing how i felt right and so 13 or 14 rolls around i run into beer and pot and everything and that story lasts for another 14 years and i got sober at 28 and basically like most people in in, in recovery programs i returned to sugar i can't, mm. went back to sugar i substituted as they say in the lexicon one drug for another and I'm a thin guy, and I gained uh, 20 pounds really quickly. My face broke out in acne. I was anxious. And, you know, here I was, quote, unquote, getting off hard drugs. And my fellows around the recovery, they were gaining, not the freshman 15 like you gain in college, but they were gaining 50 pounds in, in a year really fast and getting diabetes diagnosis. So I wanted to get healthy, and I started studying that. And I ran across a book called Sugar Blues, and Sugar Blues was written in the 70s, updated in the 80s, was written by a, a guy who was, eventually married Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star, and they helped okay. promote this book. Yeah, yeah. It was really – he was at a party one time, <laughs> and they, uh, um, he hears voice from behind him saying, I wouldn't have that stuff in my house, let alone my body and he was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee, and he turns around, there's Gloria Swanson. So anyway, they get married, (laughs) and they promote it. And I just love that story. The book that he wrote, it was about the history lesson of how we went from almost no sugar in the early days of England growing its empire and the slave trade and the sugar trade and everything to it being a normal, natural commodity all over the world. I mean, El Chapo, uh, the great drug kingpin had nothing on the British empire and the growth that they had around sugar and the cash cow that that became as an addictive substance, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so basically I I talked my wife at the time into, you know, after I got off the sugar myself uh, into having two kids, no, no sugar, no flour, no caffeine in the womb uh, while she was pregnant or till they were about six years old. And, after that about once a once a once a month in the birthday parties and stuff but we never had sugar at home so and yeah. then i went on to have a regular life and basically businesses and stuff and i i picked up the note domain name sugaraddiction.com about a decade ago and started uh, disseminating information and but it wasn't until about 2 or 3 years ago where i really figured out that people need a lot more support both in community and in coaching to get through this because people were not successful with just the information. Heck you can get it online everywhere, but people can't seem to get it, get off the stuff, you know? So anyway, that's the short version. That's how I got here. And
0: yeah, no. And and I think, um, you know, let's, let's sort of circle back to a lot of those points and, and um, talk about them because, you know, uh, the, the, the Eric Clapton story is very interesting, right? You know, mm-hmm. people often question um whether sugar addiction is real. And I think when you sort of roll the clock back, you know, as far as I understand at the turn of the previous century, so um 1899, sorry, 19 yeah, 1899 going into um 1900, people were eating about maybe five pounds a year of sugar exactly. at, 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 the, at, at the most right yeah. now the last time i checked it was about 145 pounds yeah of, of sugar per year per person so you know um is sugar addiction real first of all i mean obviously we're eating more of it and if it is real is it the sort of gateway drug to other addictions
1: yeah see that's the that's, like I said, part of the message that I think, uh, I don't know, God or the universe or whoever, whatever your belief system put in my brain while I was getting sober back then. Um, and it's just simply not accepted. I mean, people think of addiction as the, the guy under the bridge with the bag, you know, the paper bag covered bottle, you know, that, that's what they think of or someone with needle tracks up their arm, right? And so there is a stigmatization or stigma that the substance use disorder folks have been fighting for two or three decades and now having some success. And the bottom line is, is that the last five years, the brain science has exploded, right? Now there's anecdotal evidence of this in 12step recovery uh, food stuff and whatever, but it wasn't until the last five years that the brain science really truly exploded to understand that alcohol and cocaine or alcohol and drugs hit the same brain reward systems that sugar does okay mm-hmm. and fructose in particular and it's the limbic brain and basically hijacks your your brain. Uh, to get you dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA. And even your adrenals are uh, uh, hijacked, literally hijacked. And, you know, you have a very small percentage of your, your frontal court, you know, your frontal lobe where you're, you're actually trying to rationally stop this process. Like you say, I'm going to quit tomorrow, and then you don't. Then mm-hmm. you quit tomorrow, and then you don't. And these are all definitions of addiction, right? And addiction... Uh, now we know is a brain reward issue, right? It's like, you're not like getting high on the cocaine. You're not getting high on the alcohol. You're not getting high on the sugar. What you're getting high is the manual manipulation of your brain reward systems via a substance, okay? Mm -hmm. And so when you look at it and you understand that you take a little bit of heroin, you take a little bit of alcohol, you take a little bit of whatever drug you're taking. But we are pounding, as you just mentioned, you know, 17 to 30 teaspoons a day through our body. So the, the addiction becomes dose-dependent, right? And the idea that it's not a psychoactive drug that lifts your mood a little bit is just ridiculous because anyone who's come from the other side, who's gone, who had a problem and, and actually quit and has now any period of abstinence from sugar a crazy thing happened to me, Brad. I I didn't go public with this, my drug addiction recovery stuff until about two years ago. right? Mm. And I started to get this flood in my practice of recovering alcoholics, drug addicts, people who had been sober 5, 10, 15 years. And to a man, to a woman, every single one of them said that quitting sugar was harder than their original recovery of quitting drugs and alcohol.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I've, I've heard that before. I've heard that before so many times. Yeah. Yeah um it's uh, you know as a nutritionist you're you're oftentimes putting people on somewhat restrictive diets you know so let's sure. for like candida is a, is a good example you know so candida feeds on sugar so you 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 also got to tell people that they got to cut the gluten out they got to cut the dairy out and people will say you know gluten was hard dairy was hard but sugar it's mm. there it stays with you and from my understanding as well you know it also uh, the, the longer you keep eating right so it's kind of like um uh, let me reframe it differently you know you you smoke your first cigarette and then you kind of like well that didn't feel that great you know it's one cigarette and you kind of leave it and then you smoke the second one and it's like oh, okay i'm kind of getting used to that and then it's the third one the fourth one next thing you know you're smoking a pack a day it's mm-hmm. the same thing with any type of you know whether it's sugar addiction whether it's alcohol any kind of drug but my understanding is that the longer you do it the more I guess ingrained those neural pathways become as well, which which you know, really in short, what I'm saying is the longer you carry on, the harder it becomes to uh, absolutely to stop, right.
1: Uh, yeah, and the and the heavier your habit for sure. Yeah, and the like you say, the longer if you're like we have an epidemic of obese three to five year olds. Okay, so now if you're that young yeah. and every worry, fear, anxiety, uh, anything in your, you know, any negative emotion you quell or your parents help you quell by ingesting sugar, like you said, you're building up, you're grooving a neural pathway that says worry, sugar, Uh, fear, sugar, scared, sugar, Uh, upset, sugar. And so you literally have this pattern that because this stuff is almost free and ubiquitous, you can get it anywhere, just open your cupboard. And, you know, you end up using that to manage your emotions day in and day out, not to mention previous traumas that you keep tamping down with it. And, by the time you reach our age, you're just literally fighting off withdrawal. So, and then to get out the other side, you literally got to reprogram, rewire your brain to a new way of thinking. You've got to first separate it, separate the, the the idea that this even exists because it's totally unconscious. I mean, completely unconscious that this is going on in your life because the product is everywhere and you you can you can just grab it or you know walk into a store and get it for less than a dollar. And so if you don't understand, if you don't like first like write it out and see the parallel, see the see it happening in front of your face, you're not going to be able to get out the other side. Then when you start to move out the other side, what you have to do is you have to when you feel like sugar and you feel you're anxious, you need to go for a walk, you need to get a massage, you need to go to yoga, you need to call a friend, you need to get a hug. Whatever different emotional management system needs to be taking over that requires some effort besides just sitting on a couch and reaching for, uh, the, the remote control and the sugar, you need to do that instead of, um, your old standby, which has been really good to you. It worked as you know, from three to five to seven, their whole life, it worked. And now you need to change that behavior. And it really, the hardest part is getting people to recognize them As Tony Robin says, a pattern interrupt, right? A, a, yeah. An interruption of the pattern of your normal life, and that's what it takes. I mean, it's like it's easy to say,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred really percent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. You you remind me of an exercise I did with a, a small group of people, uh, probably about a year ago now, a year and a half, somewhere around there. And yeah. it was this. Uh, it was a two-week sugar detox, which is mm-hmm. was really just cut out sugar and. I think for a lot of people, when you say cut out sugar, automatically they will say, well, I don't eat sugar. And you go, because in their mind, they think of how many cubes of sugar am I adding to my coffee? Well, I don't add any. How many, you know, is the sugar bowl on the table at breakfast time? Well, I don't have a sugar bowl, right? I don't add sugar to anything. And of course, you know, there's so many hidden sources of sugar that throughout this exercise was a two week exercise. And all I did was I started listing hidden sources of sugar and different names for sugar, and all of a sudden eyeballs started to pop out of people's head, and they were like, "Holy smokes! I, I never had any idea that these were sugar." And I think that's the big challenge for people: is the stuff is you know in combination with being unconscious about it, there's also it's also masked in a sense um, in in our food supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I like. I mean, the numbers vary but it's like at least above 70 or 75 percent of all the boxes bags cans cellophane wrap Mm. bottles in the grocery store contain sugar
0: yeah yeah so you
1: can't you can't get away from it unless you're very vigilant very aware of what's going on you know
0: yeah so um a couple things just to come back to 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 some things you know um we'll talk about withdrawals in a second but you spoke about children and, and I mm. think this would be very useful for people, because I have a young son, and you know he's a bit of a carb monster. Uh, we feed him like super clean food. it's really good, but you know, kids generally love carbohydrates, um, they just do, and fortunately, their metabolism is generally um, you know a lot higher than say, you or me. so they can, if they are active, they can generally burn things off. But I want to look at this through the lens more of. Those that neural pathway patterning and that sort of like setting yourself up for addiction perhaps in the future. So what can parents do to, I mean, how did you do it? How did you raise your children in a no sugar or a sugar reduced environment?
1: Yeah, I I find that I need to break this uh, down into two sections, right? And that what happens, what we did is they never had sugar. So, and we have, you have, we all have 110% control of the food supply of our children until they're four or five years old, at the very minimum, uh, probably a lot longer. Uh, but then the some other issues come into play, which I'll get into in the second half of it. But I'm kind of, because of what I've been through in the last decade, I'm starting to understand that this is the movement that I need to, uh, the fastest thing we ever did on Facebook was sugar-free kids. It, it just exploded right away mm. it, because people are interested in this topic because exactly what we've discussed about neural pathways. So uh, if you can go I mean the first thousand days, it's all proven, uh, there's a study out or a uh, announcement out recently, a cooperation between the American Pediatric Dental Association, the American Pediatric, Association of Pediatricians, the American Heart Association, and I always forget the fourth one, but through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is one of the largest nonprofits in the world, where they all cooperated and said that children between zero and five should have zero, not any, not a little sugar-sweetened beverages, okay? Hmm. Amazing collaboration for the first time in history of any kind of medical groups like that, right? And so <clears throat> that's the first section. If you don't give it to them, my kids didn't even know what it was, right? They would build, the, like, blocks in the grocery store. They thought they, they were colored blocks. They didn't know what it was, as opposed to the kid reaching and screaming his head off when he can't even talk trying to get to that candy, right, um, which we've all seen many times in the grocery store. Okay. And the second part of it is children who've already been exposed, okay? So if they're already involved in children, and they've had it from whatever um and i want to mention that in both segments this is a difficult thing to do because you're going to have your grandparents and your uh, friends and your schools and your uh friends parents everyone is going to think quote unquote you are depriving your children of something (laughs) which is total bunk because i've lived it i know it's not true my children never thought they were deprived and today don't have a draw to that product And so the set when you're when you're already kids have already had sugar, then you just need to be completely open and honest. And I'm going to say a little trick in my business and in the world is that I am not above manipulating parents to get off this stuff first, simply because just like the uh, airlines say, you need to put your own oxygen mask on Mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Kids are smart. They know exactly what you're doing. There's no do as I say and don't do as I do. My mother had a stash. She really believed we didn't know where it was, you know? And <laughs> right. she really believed it. She thought she had it well hidden, right? And so, and you cannot be like uh, not involved. And then that opens the door for this huge level of transparency. a quick story about a, one of my coaches, her daughter's nine, her mother owns a bakery, no exaggeration. Her grandmother, who is not on board with this idea, okay, and still. And, you know, the poor child is torn a little bit, right? But now she's to the point where she's a little evangelist, right? She's like, you know, they start to talk openly when they come back from the birthday parties. Mommy, I have a tummy ache and says, well, it's probably from the sugar. And though. And so now she's turning her grandmother down for these things, right? Mm. And so it's, it's, it's very real if you're open and honest with your kids and willing to be the leader in the family.
0: Yeah. and that, I mean, I, I, I 100% agree with you. I um, 100% agree with you that, you know, obviously, if parents are sneaking cookies and Twinkies and trying to keep the kids off that stuff, it's, it's just not going to fly um, yeah. for reasons that you've said. And, um, you know, personally, uh, I find it very, very challenging when your kid wants something, right? Whatever that is, you know, they just, they have their favorite foods and, you know, we at home are very, very good about, we don't have any sugar um, per se, but, you know, things like maple syrup, for example, that's our sort of, you know, sweetener of choice, Um, honey occasionally as well. But you know, just when when the kids want it, they want it. You know, and and so so, how do you sort of break through that barrier? You know, because it's really difficult for a parent to just sit there and butt heads with their kid all day long. Um, you know, it's not a, not a fun time. Uh, let's put it that way. Have you seen in kids? So first of all, I mean hey, what can we do? And then have you seen that kids respond in the same way as adults where maybe if they haven't had it for four or five days or a week or two weeks, they all of a sudden start forgetting about it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like we said before, I mean, the neural pathways change rapidly in kids. You know, they, they, they can be substituting play or whatever. Um, your question's a good one. And... Each time, it's really – I don't want to – please, uh, audience, do not take this as, you know, me shaming anyone or whatever. But the, the bottom line is that the substitute has always been that give in to them, right? Yeah. Instead of when they're crying or upset uh, and you're busy, to give them a cookie um, is instead of getting down on their level and giving them a hug and they say, what's up and whatever – when they have that tantrum, and, and the tantrum you'll find is not, it's not really related to that they're upset. It's that they're they really want a shot of dopamine, and they don't know it. Exactly. They don't know. They don't yeah. know how to say it. They want to feel better, and they don't know how to say it. They don't have the words, or even the the, the maturity to understand that. Mm-hmm. So you have to get down on the level, give them a hug, and say, "Look, we've you know we just." Mommy doesn't do it anymore. Daddy doesn't do it anymore. We can't. It's, it's probably not good for you. We'll have it a little bit on treat, you know, on, 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 at your friend's birthday party, but sugar is just not going to be something we're going to do around the house. And yeah, they're going to bitch and moan for a little bit, but um, you can't. That part's not that hard to get through with a little, you know, love and care. And, yeah. and so, yeah, yeah, that's how I would do it.
0: Okay. Now, I mean, that sort of segues into the next um, obvious thing, which is probably on everyone's mind is the whole idea of sugar withdrawals, right? Mm -hmm. So just like giving up anything, you know, you're always going to have a period. I mean, smoking, for example, is probably one of the hardest things for people to give up because it takes them about two to three weeks before they can, and sometimes up to three months before they can really get the habit under control. So yeah. what have you found with, um, with, with sugar withdrawals? What are some of the things that happen to people and how can they work through that?
1: Yeah, no, it's another one that needs to be broken into two sections and there's the physical part, which is the early days, days zero to 30 sometimes. But for most people, average type person, they the physical stuff is pretty nasty depending on if you're going to do flour and caffeine at the same time, right? Mm. Recently stumbled across a quitting caffeine uh, group, very advanced, very basically understanding the same things that we've understood that the two are married together in a lot of ways. What's in the brain wired together, fired together, right? So, you know, chocolate, coffee, all these things all have sugar in them, right? So the body doesn't really know the difference sometimes. And so, if you're doing all three of them, if you're an adult and have a big habit of anything, especially cat coffee with sugar in it um, and whatever, you're going to be literally incapacitated in days three to seven maybe. You need mm-hmm. to take the time. Um, we usually a, a step-down process, and we try and get the caffeine first, the sugar second, and the flour third. They're going to go that way. Um it's simply because you literally need the sugar as the methadone for the caffeine and then the flour helps you w- walk off the sugar and then you try and quit the flour. Um, but yeah, I mean it's just a real, uh, its a the withdrawals physically are nasty and they can last up to 30 days. But then, where we find the recidivism rate, a lot of people can muscle that. A lot of people, are athletes especially, they can muscle that. Worked with an Olympic athlete. Until we got her off the caffeine, we could not get her off the sugar. You know, she tried and tried. She could do anything with her body. She placed it in the Olympics, but she could not get off this stuff. Interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, it's and then from days thirty to three sixty five, that's when the mental game kicks in. That's when the you know if everything's going perfect in your life, it's a little easier. But then when a little stressor comes up, or something goes on uh, work, family, whatever. And then, or, and, or you start to remember some trauma that you had before that you were tamping down with these products. You go, you fall back unconsciously. If you don't have the support, if you don't have a new tribe of people, because you're usually alone in your family when you do this, not Mm -hmm. (laughs) many families all do it together. Rarely does happen, but not all the time. And so, um, If you're not understanding that and tight with your new tribe, uh, so you can pick up the phone and say, "These crazy relatives of mine got these piles of cookies and cakes. I got to get out of here." You know, if you don't have someone to vent, someone to, uh, you're gonna, like the old saying, "You hang around a barber shop long enough, you're gonna get a haircut." You know, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. You've got to have a new tribe, and you've got to walk through that first year with support, because otherwise. Left alone, it's just too invasive, too um, enculturated into our society that sugar is everywhere with everything. And people are herd animals. They feel left out if they're not part of it. You know, they feel not part of the celebration when they have to say no, 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 no. You know, they they finally say yes. And so it's tough, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: this is scientific lore. Now, you've heard it. 100 times, where someone will lose all the weight, usually by restricting or you know eliminating flour and sugar, and then in the first year gain it all back and then some. And so these are the precautions you need to take both physical and emotional and mental in the, in the second half of the, the process.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's like that with any type of, of addiction, you know, I mean, that, that that's just the sort of pathway or the roadmap, if you will, uh, for overcoming any addiction. And I think you're pretty spot on, you know, I mean, if you don't have a good support network, and or your family is 100% behind you, it's going to be very difficult to follow through, um, you know, and and to not relapse. Um, but something, you know, you jog my memory a little bit here or got me thinking about something and... You know, a lot of people now are going on a ketogenic diet or very, very low carb diets. And you sort of hear these horror stories in the first like two or three weeks where people are just completely out the window um, because of, the, of, of whatever it is. I mean, you're literally switching from carbohydrate as the primary fuel to fat as the primary fuel. And there's, I mean, absolutely, there's going to be an adaptation stage, but how do you feel sugar um, ties into that?
1: Well, the common lexicon for it is called the keto flu. right? And if you just like compare the symptoms of the keto flu and sugar addiction withdrawals, (laughs) they're the same. So basically you're, you're, you're in sugar withdrawals is what's happening. Um, and you're going from a sugar burner to a fat burner, as you mentioned. And so, but there's more to it. There's really a lot more to it in that I had a guy came to me, um, had lost a hundred pounds on keto over a two year period. He'd been back and forth trying to sustain the keto diet. He had, he could do everything on the keto diet, everything. He was really good and very, very diligent until except for the sugar, and that was always his Achilles heel. Huh. And it took us, he had another 60 pounds to lose, you know, and, and it took us uh, about a month to figure out that this relationship they had with this woman for 15 years or something, every time there was an upset in that, that he would use sugar. And he eventually uh, separated and and, and understood that it was, a, and plus he was like, both his parents had died in that year and stuff. So he was dealing with a lot of stuff in that, you know? And, and when he realized that when he started to write it out and understand that every time he went back to the sugar, uh, he was having some emotional upset. Then all of a sudden he put two and two together and, you know, started to find alternative methods to deal with it. So, It's very, you know, uh, one thing I do like about the ketogenic folks is that they're very uh, analytical, a lot of them, and they have crowdsourced the information of people attempting this. They're all documenting it. And what's happened literally over the last year or so on all the stages, on all the low-carb events and the keto events all over the world is that – Folks like me and my uh, associates on the Quit Sugar Summit in the addiction space have started to go from no presentations to one, to two, to three of the presentations at these events are people from the sugar and carb withdrawal world, you know, or addiction world, right? And so it's amazing that they are adopting the understanding because here they are preaching the keto stuff, except they can't get people to do completely do it because they're addicted to sugars. So yeah. And, you know,
0: that, that is really, really interesting. Actually, I'd never sort of looked at it that way because you know, you're right. Like there's a lot of people, um, the theory is very sound, you know, so cut back on the carbohydrates or go right. low carb or go no carb. And, you know, you'll switch to fat burning mode and you'll lose weight and off you go but I think that very few people are talking about how sugar addiction ties into that. So yeah, you definitely got me thinking about something different there. Um, and you know, really what it boils down to is you're, you're, it's a, it's a major barrier to changing people's behavior. If you, if you really want to look at it that way, you know, it's, right. um, yeah. Whether you want to talk about the physical or the emotional side of things, but so another, another quick question for you. Um, do you think that it's possible, you know, oftentimes you'll find uh, people with addiction, uh, they'll have multiple addictions, right? So it's, it's, you know, we've got sugar and then we also smoke cigarettes and then it's also caffeine and maybe we drink too much or whatever. Do, do you think that it's possible to break the other addictions without breaking sugar? Mm, wow.
1: That's, a, that's No one's ever asked me. That's a good question. Um,
0: maybe you don't have an answer. It's just maybe something to think about, right?
1: Yeah, no, I I, I have a speculation. I, I do actually probably have an answer. Um, uh, I personally, it's probably maybe the first, it might be a second, but I think it's the first time I've ever um, talked about this. Is You know, I, I really believe flour, sugar, and caffeine are most probably responsible for upwards of 90% of all all human maladies and what appears to be aging um, uh, around the world. And I think a lot of the science is beginning to bear that
0: out. I I would agree. Yeah, I would agree.
1: These are things that now science is saying. The psychoactive part, the addiction part, is interesting. I mean, one of the things that happens in the – is happening and continues to happen and makes my world my life a little difficult is that ninety percent of people who run sugar detoxes, ninety percent of people who are trying to think they're gonna help people get off sugar, come from the health world. They come from the coach health coaching world, health coaches, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so they get you ramped up for seven days, ten days, twenty one days, twenty-eight days, thirty days, some kind of challenge, and then they leave you hanging.
0: yeah yeah guilty guilty
1: (laughs) yeah right so they're like they and they don't cover this addiction thing and now like i mentioned with the evolution of the low-carb events and low-carb their acceptance level um one of your countrymen who should get on this podcast guy named robert Cyres, down in florida he's a bariatric surgeon who will not do the operation unless you understand exactly what we we're talking about and the emotional management of carbohydrates? Wow. Got an amazing YouTube channel. I shouldn't be, but he, you know, he's from South Africa. You guys will get along famously. Is awesome.
0: It, yeah, we will we'll make that this, connection.
1: <laughs> yeah, someone. Uh, I'll I'll make an introduction on emails if you want.
0: That'd and be so, great.
1: but but basically, he's got, he's one of the ones that they're allowed not allowing because he would. They would, you know, they want him on there anyway to talk about this addiction part, you know. And I I really believe that uh, the sugar is the gateway, the caffeine is the gateway because we're changing our states. And some folks get to the point where, like I did, that's not powerful enough. That wouldn't, sugar wouldn't get me to talk to girls, okay, at 14, 15 years old, Mm -hmm. would not get me, but beer would. So I had a pattern of, understanding that in, and it was in my family and for generations that I could change my state and it would be a beneficial thing. Right. And so that's exactly, I hope the answer to your question is that they are more intertwined than people think they are. And, and <laughs> there's a comedian in the United States. Oh, you probably heard him. Rodney Dangerfield recently oh, well, yeah. passed. A couple, and he had a tagline. I get no respect. I get no respect. And before a while, before the end of the routine, he didn't even have to say the joke. He just said, I don't get no respect and people laugh. Well, sugar gets no respect. It gets no respect as a psychoactive drug or a drug of addiction. Whereas, when you look at the obesity rate and you look at the high fructose corn syrup entering the diet in the 70s and 80s, and you look at the obesity numbers going up, and that's just the other side of the equation, the health side. That's mm-hmm. not including the addiction side, the brain side, right? Um, you gotta you gotta draw conclusions that are a symptom of this disease, which is denial, right? Where you can obviously see a crack addict or an alcohol addict wrecking cars and ruining his life, but in since 1970 or 1980. We've seen people's body sizes grow to unfathomable weights. And I don't know how old you are, but when I was a kid, there were no, there was no, in a high school of 3,000, there was only one or two obese people,
0: right? Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Yeah. Same, same so here. I'm just,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I know I sound soapboxy, I know it, but you got to realize if you just spend five minutes in my inbox, five minutes in my messenger, how much pain... This these substances are causing in the world, then you would, you know, people would, hopefully, it's hard to break through denial because you feel like everyone else is doing it, okay? And they seem to be doing it successfully. But that's not the case. Take my word for it. It is mm-hmm. not the case.
0: No, and I, I believe you. I mean, 100%. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through my own issues as well. So I know exactly what it's like to stop things, you know, to start things, to pick them up again, to leave them alone, and the sort of mental-emotional roller coaster that goes along with that uh, as, as well, you know. But, um, you know, just to bring us into the close, you've got a, a best-selling book, which is awesome, uh, the last resort sugar detox guide. Uh, perhaps, maybe, just share the the sort of highlights of that book, or or maybe the elevator um, uh, synopsis of that book. And then, uh, yeah, basically, where you know, you. I understand that you also um, you've got some programs and stuff like that. So maybe share a little bit more about what you're doing, the book, and how people can find you.
1: Yeah, the book is uh, free on Amazon. It's free on my website, SugarAddiction.com. Uh, it's a basically um, when I sell, well, I still sell, you can buy the, that's a digital part. If you you can mm-hmm. get a paperback, you got to pay for it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's my story and basically how we walk out of it and through the stuff that we're talking about here. It's not a diet plan. It's not, there's no exercise involved. <laughs> it's really about rehabbing your brain and rehabbing your brain chemicals so that you're, um, you know uh, you're successful in, in your venture to quit sugar and uh, we do the quit sugar summit every year um which is coming up right now i don't know when this will go out but um it, it's a, all the experts from around the world going be our fifth year and we have all the experts and it's a really cool cool event but on the website sugaraddiction.com you'll find a 30-day challenge and the 30-day challenge is a uh, we get together for 30 days. You get a, a 45, we have 4,500 people in a private Facebook group. Uh, once you get involved in the challenge and we have zoom meetings, weeknights, uh, so we got the support. It's like a tribe you join. And those, those are the, um, you know, those, that's really your, your secret sauce, if you will, mm-hmm. to succeeding. I find that most people that are succeeding are pioneers in their own world and their own life in athletics and job and career and business and, and family, they're not afraid to go against the grain. You know, they're, they're not afraid to, um, do something a little different to join a new tribe or, you know, Mm -hmm. to step out of their comfort zone. So Mm -hmm. yeah, all those things, I appreciate it. They're all available. Uh, there's almost no cost to any of them. So the book's awesome. free; you can get it at the site, whatever. Right,
0: great stuff. Well, um, Mike, thanks so much. Uh, you know, very enlightening discussion, especially from someone who's actually walked it and not just someone who's uh, very well read or um, you know has a lot of book knowledge. Uh, this is really you living it, uh, your story, and then really, um, I guess putting that into uh, resources and tools that people can use to improve their lives. So uh, thanks very much for the work that you do and for coming on the show today.
1: Well, thanks for having me. You keep up the good work too. I listened to a couple of your episodes, very cool stuff you got out there.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. And for those of you listening out there as always, uh, please consider leaving us a review, subscribing, sharing, doing whatever you can to uh, get the word out and um, of course most importantly sharing this with your friends family and community so thanks for tuning in and you have yourself a beautiful day wherever you are